Welcome to the January 27th, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. On today's podcast, we'll review a recent analysis of Phase 3 daratumumab studies looking at the prognostic impact of sustained minimal residual disease, or MRD, negativity in patients with multiple myeloma. Next, we'll hear more about a novel thrombolytic agent targeting von Willebrand factor that may represent a promising approach for the treatment of thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. We'll conclude with a study demonstrating that PI3 kinase inhibitor duvalisib can be used to enhance the in vivo efficacy of CAR T-cells in CLL. The first research article is entitled Sustained Minimal Residual Disease Negativity with Daratumumab in Newly Diagnosed Multiple Myeloma, Maya and Alcyon, by Jesus San Miguel of the Clinica Universidad de Navarra in Spain and colleagues. In this article, the authors report that MRD negativity lasting six months or more could represent an even deeper level of response with greater prognostic value than isolated MRD measurements. MRD is increasingly recognized as a sensitive measure of tumor burden and treatment response in multiple myeloma. MRD negative status reflects a deep response to therapy that is linked to improved progression-free and overall survival. However, numerous aspects of MRD assessment need to be clarified, including when and how often to test MRD. Daratumumab is an anti-CD38 monoclonal antibody shown to have a substantial impact on MRD negativity in myeloma trials. These include Maya and Alcyon, two phase 3 studies looking at daratumumab-based regimens in newly diagnosed transplant-ineligible patients with multiple myeloma. Maya evaluated the DRD regimen, or daratumumab plus lenalidomide and dexamethasone, while Alcyon evaluated DVMP which is daratumumab plus bortezomib, melphalan, and prednisone. The addition of daratumumab to standard anti-myeloma regimens significantly reduced the risk of disease progression or death by 44% and 58% in the Maya and Alcyon trials, respectively. Also in both trials, the MRD negativity rate was significantly higher in the daratumumab arms compared to the control groups. Regardless of whether patients received daratumumab, simply achieving MRD-negative status was associated with longer progression-free survival in both trials. Building on these results, San Miguel and co-authors are now reporting an evaluation of sustained MRD negativity in patients enrolled in Maya and Alcyon. Multiple MRD assessments were incorporated into the design of both trials. The MRD assessments were done for patients who achieved a complete response or stringent complete response, with additional assessments in those patients at 12, 18, 24, and 30 months from initial dosing. MRD was assessed in bone marrow aspirates using next-generation sequencing with a sensitivity of 1 in 10 to the fifth cells. The present analysis includes more than 1,400 patients, randomized one-to-one to the daratumumab and control groups of the two studies. More than 90% of the patients in both studies were eligible for MRD assessments. The median duration of follow-up was 36.4 months in Maya and 40.1 months in Alcyon. In this report, investigators showed significantly higher rates of sustained MRD negativity in the daratumumab-treated patients. For patients treated with DRD in the Maya trial, 
the rate of MRD negativity sustained for at least six months was 14.9%, compared to just 4.3% for patients receiving RD. The rate of MRD negativity for at least 12 months was also significantly higher in the DRD group, at 10.9% versus 2.4% for RD. For patients treated with DVMP and Alcyon, MRD negativity lasting six months or more was again significantly higher than in the VMP group, at 15.7% and 4.5% respectively. MRD negativity for 12 months or more was 14% for DVMP versus 2.8% for VMP. Looking specifically at patients who achieved CR or better, the daratumumab-based regimens were again associated with significantly higher rates of durable MRD. San Miguel and colleagues also report that MRD negativity is linked to significantly improved progression-free survival in the intention-to-treat populations of Maya and Alcyon, with hazard ratios of 0.15 and 0.21, respectively. Consistent with these results, Prolonged progression-free survival was also observed in patients with sustained MRD negativity of at least 6 or 12 months. Patients with sustained MRD negativity had prolonged progression-free survival compared to those who did not achieve sustained MRD negativity or were MRD positive. In her accompanying commentary, Giada Bianchi of Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston said this new work highlights two important points. First, it shows that sustained MRD negativity may provide more prognostic granularity versus a single static MRD assessment. Secondly, it confirms that daratumumab-containing regimens outperformed the control arms in frequency and persistence of MRD negativity, as well as progression-free survival regardless of MRD status. Bianchi said the study sets a new standard and adds a new layer of complexity to MRD assessment in multiple myeloma. Rather than a fixed snapshot, MRD can now be viewed as a continuous variable that changes over time. However, she raises several unanswered questions by the study, including whether sustained MRD negativity translates into prolonged overall survival. Also, whether sustained MRD negativity is the result of intensification of induction treatment or rather its prolonged use as maintenance until disease progression. She also questions whether maintenance treatment could be de-intensified or discontinued based on sustained MRD negative status without compromising progression-free or overall survival. Taken together, results of the current analysis by San Miguel and co-authors suggest that in patients with newly diagnosed transplant-ineligible multiple myeloma, Durable MRD negativity lasting 6 or 12 months or more may represent an even deeper level of response with a higher prognostic value than an isolated MRD measurement. The next article is entitled Microlyse, a thrombolytic agent that targets VWF for clearance of microvascular thrombosis by Stephen DeMott of the University Medical Center Utrecht in the Netherlands and colleagues. In this article, investigators describe the development of a novel thrombolytic agent targeting von Willebrand factor, or VWF, that may hold promise for the treatment of thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, or TTP. In patients with TTP, functional deficiency of the cleaving metalloprotease atom TS13 leads to accumulation of platelet adhesive von Willebrand factor multimers in the blood, which induces microvascular thrombosis. These microthrombi occlude vessels, resulting in depletion of platelets in the circulation, 
This puts patients with TTP at risk of ischemic tissue injury and severe bleeding. Current treatment approaches to TTP include plasma exchange, which aims to restore ADAMTS13 activity while removing autoantibodies, and immunomodulatory strategies, such as rituximab treatment, which is associated with suppression of ADAMTS13 autoantibodies. Caplicizumab, a bivalent anti-VWF nanobody, was approved by the Food and Drug Administration in 2019 for the treatment of adults with acquired TTP. Caplicizumab works by blocking the interaction between VWF and platelets. However, the ability of caplicizumab to clear VWF platelet aggregates is thought to be limited. Another promising approach is treatment with recombinant ADAMTS13, which is in clinical trials for treatment of congenital TTP. However, this approach may not be effective for immune-mediated TTP, in which patients have autoantibodies to ADAMTS13. Researchers believe infusing high doses of recombinant ADAMTS13 could risk amplifying the immune response. These and other observations led Damod and colleagues to explore alternative pathways to regulating VWF. In previous work, they hypothesized that plasmin, the key enzyme of the fibrinolytic system, could serve as a physiological backup for ADAMTS13 in degrading platelet VWF complexes. Later, they showed that amplifying the activity of endogenous plasmin could resolve acute TTP in mice. In the present report, the authors report on the development of microlyse, which they describe as a VWF-targeting plasminogen activator. Microlyse consists of a high-affinity nanobody targeting VWF plus the protease domain of urokinase-type plasminogen activator. Since urokinase can't directly bind VWF, the investigators reasoned that a strategy designed to bring plasminogen activators to VWF would be a promising approach in the treatment of TTP. The report includes results of in vitro studies demonstrating that the fusion protein they developed triggers targeted destruction of platelet VWF complexes. In other studies, the investigators compared the microlyzed fusion protein to caplicizumab. They found that, at equal molar concentrations, microlyzed degraded microthrombi sevenfold more rapidly than the strategy of blocking platelet VWF interactions using caplicizumab. In ADAMTS13 deficient mice, microlyse partially normalized platelet counts and normalized LDH levels. High dose caplicizumab normalized platelet counts better than microlyse, but was unable to normalize LDH levels, indicating persistent organ damage. Hemostasis was assessed using mouse tail tip amputation. Microlyse did not prolong tail bleeding time, while by contrast, a subtherapeutic dose of caplicizumab resulted in prolonged tail bleeding time. In his accompanying commentary, Colin Kretz of McMaster University in Ontario said that novel proteolytic regulators of VWF, such as microlyse, could be beneficial in the treatment of TTP and other cardiovascular diseases. While the current report suggests certain advantages over caplicizumab, the investigators did not compare microlyse to recombinant ADAMTS13, Kretz noted in his commentary, adding that future studies are needed to determine whether the two modalities are comparably safe and effective. He also notes that in order to strengthen their conclusions about safety, hemostasis should also be examined after 24 hours in the tail bleeding experiments to align with platelet count and LDH measurements of thrombolytic activity. Furthermore, measuring the effect of microlyse on markers of fibrinolysis such as D-dimer, plasmin alpha-2 antiplasmin, fibrinogen, 
and prothrombindime should also be undertaken. For now, results described by Damod and colleagues demonstrate the potential for microlyse for targeted thrombolysis in the treatment of TTP. They hypothesize that a VWF-targeted thrombolytic agent could also be applicable in stroke and myocardial infarction, building on the success of TPA in improving clinical outcomes. Ultimately, VWF may be an underestimated player in these settings. The final article is entitled, PI3K Delta Gamma Inhibition Promotes CAR T-Cell Epigenetic and Metabolic Reprogramming to Enhance Anti-Tumor Cytotoxicity by Christopher Ronald Funk of Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta and colleagues. Results of the study suggest that adding duvalisib during CAR T-cell manufacturing may reverse T-cell immune paralysis and could potentially improve response rates to CAR T-cell therapy in patients with CLL. Although CAR T-cell therapy has been transformative in certain blood cancers, limited in vivo expansion and persistence are factors that contribute to relapse. The limits of CAR T-cell therapy are clearly apparent in CLL. Anti-CD19 CAR T-cell therapy had a complete response rate of only 25% in a recent meta-analysis of 42 studies, including patients with relapsed refractory CLL. That compared poorly with the complete response rate across trials of relapsed refractory non-Hodgkin lymphoma, where the CR rate was 54%, and in relapsed refractory acute lymphoblastic leukemia, where the CR rate was 77%. Optimization of ex vivo expansion conditions during the CAR T-cell manufacturing process may help enhance the therapeutic efficacy of the administered cells. Manufacturing of CAR T-cells often results in preferential expansion of CD4-positive CAR T-cells, upregulation of co-inhibitory molecules, and exhaustion of CD8-positive CAR T-cells, resulting from stimulation of the T-cell receptor and chimeric antigen receptor. In CAR T-cells produced from CLL donors, reduced in vivo efficacy is observed contributing to poorer complete response rates than in other hematologic malignancies for which CAR T-cells are utilized. Multiple strategies are being investigated for their potential to overcome poor T-cell function in CLL. These include pretreatment with ibrutinib to enhance CAR T-cell engraftment, administration of lenalidomide to promote T-cell immunologic cytotoxic immune synapse formation, and use of allogeneic T-lymphocytes derived from umbilical cord blood. The use of PI3 kinase inhibitors, such as duvalisib and idealisib, as explored in the present study, is another interesting potential strategy. It is known that CLL patients treated with PI3 kinase inhibitors may experience T-cell-mediated autoimmune adverse effects, including rash, colitis, pneumonitis, and hepatotoxicity. Furthermore, investigators have shown that in diffuse, large B-cell lymphoma, the PI3 kinase inhibitor idealisib blocks T-cell terminal differentiation. Based on those observations, Funk and co-authors hypothesized that the addition of a PI3 kinase inhibitor during manufacturing would enhance CAR T-cell function for CLL patients. First, they studied the addition of duvalisib or idealisib to CLL patient T-cell cultures. This resulted in a mean increase in T-cell numbers of 150%. They observed an increased frequency of CD8-positive T-cells, which decreased the CD4 to CD8 ratio from 4.96 to 2.37. They also saw dose-dependent decreases in the T-cell exhaustion markers TIM3 and LAG3. 
Duvalisib, a dual inhibitor of PI3 kinase delta and gamma, was carried forward in further experiments. In duvalisib-treated cultures of T-cells from patients with CLL, investigators observed an increase in CD8-positive stem memory T-cells and effector memory CD8-positive T-cells. Furthermore, CAR T-cells manufactured with duvalisib demonstrated a significant in vitro increase in cytotoxicity against CD19-positive CLL targets, which was attributable to increased frequencies of CD8-positive CAR T-cells. These CAR T-cells also exhibited increased expression of mitochondrial fusion gene MFN2, with an associated increase in the relative content of mitochondria, which has been associated with increased T-cell fitness. Duvalisib exposure also increased expression of epigenetic regulators, such as CERT1 and TCF1, which correlated with epigenetic reprogramming of the CAR T-cells toward stem-like properties. These findings appear to translate into enhanced expansion and persistence of CAR T-cells in mice engrafted with a human CLL cell line. Compared to control CAR T-cells, CAR T-cells manufactured with duvalisib exhibited significantly increased in vivo expansion and longer persistence of CD8-positive CAR T-cells. Mice receiving the duvalisib-enhanced CAR T-cells also had faster CLL elimination and longer survival relative to mice who received CAR T-cells manufactured by conventional methods. In their commentary on this study, Fleur Peters and Arnon Cater of Amsterdam University Medical Centers said the authors address an important issue the limited success of CAR T-cell therapy in CLL that is likely due to acquired T-cell dysfunction. This dysfunction includes altered cytokine secretion profiles, expression of exhaustion markers, reduced cytotoxicity of CD8-positive T-cells, and skewing towards an effect or memory phenotype. Peters and Cater cite that it is increasingly clear that, as opposed to effector cells with a high cytotoxic potential, less differentiated phenotypes, such as memory and stem-like cells, yield better outcomes following CAR T-cell therapy. These cells have greater persistence and are associated with more extensive in vivo expansion. Taken together, results of the present investigations suggest that use of a PI3 kinase gamma-delta inhibitor such as duvalisib during the CAR T-cell manufacturing process enriches the end product for CD8-positive CAR T-cells that have stem-like qualities with enhanced anti-CLL efficacy in vivo. However, Peters and Cater encourage further research to evaluate the stability of the changes induced during CAR manufacturing in vivo. One method would be to compare the transcriptome and epigenome of the pre-infusion product and of CAR T-cells at several time points post-infusion to assess persistence and stability. A possible advantage of duvalisib is that it also has clinical activity against the CLL clone so that it can be given at intervals post-CAR T-infusion if there are indications of early molecular relapse. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.